0: Hi guys, welcome to Chemo Glow. Where the glow doesn't define me, I define the glow. It's November guys, and November is Lung Cancer Awareness Month. I bet you didn't know that. Lung cancer accounts for more deaths than any other cancer, more than breasts, prostate, colon cancer combined. My guest on this podcast today is Toma Hargrave. She is an almost 14-year lung cancer survivor. This podcast was riveting. It was interesting. There's some things that you're gonna find out, not just about her, but about lung cancer and lung cancer awareness. Please tune in, listen, and I hope you enjoy. You're listening to Chemo Glow, where the glow doesn't define me; I define the glow. <laughs> so excited about my guest today! Oh my goodness! Before we even started to record, I had to catch up with her to find out what, how we met, because it's been a while now. Um, what she's been up to, and the world today is just like in a crazy frenzy. So we had time to chat before we went on, but. I would like for her to introduce herself, and then we're just going to get started. And remember, this is a very laid back recording, so just keep it coming how we were doing it right before we um, hit record. So go ahead, okay. And yourself. <laughs> okay. So hello, <laughs> hello
1: everyone. My name is Thomas Hargraves, and I am will soon be a 14 year lung cancer survivor. Oh. And I uh, treated at UNC Chapel Hill. So I'm tr- I will try to make my story brief. <laughs> but I was, I was diagnosed with no symptoms mm-hmm. um, when I was 58 years old. And um, I did shop for my treatment because I was really mad because I was very healthy. And I was mm-hmm. really mad that I got diagnosed with lung cancer. And um, ended up going to UNC because they had they offered me a clinical trial. Now, the lung cancer treatments that they did back 14 years ago are nothing like they're offering now. Mm-hmm. And I was just really lucky. I ended up having a pretty aggressive treatment with chemo, lots of chemo, lots of radiation. And then I took a targeted therapy drug, um, which was brand new to the market. Uh-huh. It I as I understand it, it wasn't even um approved by the FDA at that point. So um nine months later, after all that treatment, um, yeah, I lost my hair. You can see what came it came back this way. <laughs> and <funny>. um <laughs> and um so pretty much the oncologist at UNC what was there said what was there is essentially gone. I was I was so, it was fabulous. It was not an easy treatment, I I will admit that. But, and then I was good for about three years, and then I went out of remission after three years. And it was interesting because where it came back, I did have one met to the brain, but it came back in a spot right here in my neck, not in my lung, but in my neck. And that's where my original lymph node, that's how I found I had cancer, because I had a bump there so I had more treatment I had radiation to the brain just one treatment more chemo um, more radiation and essentially since then I have been um, doing quite well and um, I continued to work through almost all of my treatments I retired six years ago I'm a speech pathologist Um, I worked in the educational um, setting for 42 years. Yay, congratulations. 42? Goodness. 40. <laughs> so I, I got through that and after I retired um, I had decided uh, there is a reason that I survived a really bad cancer. So um, um, and that's how Regina and I got to know each other yeah. um, we got and essentially involved with the Patiently Navigator program that they were starting at UNC. It has kind of morphed over the years, and then of course Regina decided to have these little twin girls. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was time for me to take a quick
0: breather. Yeah,
1: and and, and, you know, I'm, I'm the grandmother stage here, so Um, I volunteered to get involved with the program at UNC. So that's what I'm doing right now. I'm called a volunteer um, lay navigator. And right now I'm working with patients um, by phone. We're not allowed to go in the hospital with the COVID. Um, Up until six or eight months ago, I was going into the hospital and actually working in the thoracic oncology clinic primarily with lung cancer patients, but also some head and neck patients also. And actually working with my own nurse navigator and my oncologist, I have learned so much about lung cancer, just being able to be in there with them. But, um, so that's what I've essentially been doing since I um, retired. Um, I'm, I'm also involved in some other things, which I won't talk about right now. Um, I'm, I'm very, I'm active. Um, I'm active for social justice. I will say that. So, um, and, um, and my husband, um, is a retired Santa Claus. You might've seen him at the cancer hospital at UNC. He, he um, actually had a Carolina blue Santa suit. And, but he has Parkinson's now. So my caregiving, um, when he finished being a caregiver for me, I've kind of, tables have turned over the years, and now I'm a caregiver for him. And he's been treated at UNC as well. So And he's had his ups and downs, but right mm-hmm. now he's, he's doing pretty well. That's but um, the thing I want to say about, in my particular case with lung cancer, the treatments that they have now for lung cancer are so different because a lot of it's targeted therapy, mm-hmm. a lot of it's immunotherapy. Mm-hmm. And in my particular case, they weren't even testing for mutations or biomarkers way back then. Well, guess what? Three years after I got diagnosed, they found out I had EGFR mutation. And so the targeted therapy drug I had during the clinical trial was developed for that particular um, mutation we didn't even know it at the time and then and now that's not even one of the frontline treatments anymore so but we don't know why I actually what was successful with my treatment Mm -hmm. I mean my doctor thinks I'm really good candidate for radiation I always say I glow in the dark I have a lot of radiation (laughs) and but I think that targeted therapy probably did make a difference, too. So whatever worked, I'm very
0: blessed. We know that. And when you say you shopped around for mm-hmm. your care, um, why was that so important to you about shopping around? How did you know you needed to shop around and make sure you found the right hospital, found the right doctor?
1: Well, number one, how blessed are we right here in the Triangle and North Carolina with all these Mm. fabulous comprehensive cancer centers? But I will admit, I had a fabulous advocate with my son, who is an emergency room doctor in Atlanta, but he was in um, residency when I was diagnosed. The first thing he said to me was, get to a teaching hospital. That's Mm -hmm. where the cutting edge, edge treatments are. So at that time, Rex and UNC were not merged like they are now. Uh So I went to Rex, I went to Duke, and I went to Carolina. Um, The Duke people were much more positive. At the time, the Rex people were pretty generic as far as their treatments. Mm -hmm. So they didn't really offer me anything than standard of care. But then when I went to UNC... And I always joke about my oncologist who was my original one is not there anymore, but he's very well known in the lung cancer community. And he also has perfect hair. (laughs) (laughs) And so we all, we all, you know, when Grey's Anatomy was out, we started calling him McDreamy because they had this perfect (laughs) hair. And so, but he, came through with mm-hmm. what he said he was due. now i will say the clinical trial he offered me and i decided to go with that because i'd gotten online i looked at the internet i knew i mean at that time it was probably 12 percent survival rate for lung cancer people and i was stage 3 3b when i was diagnosed mm-hmm. so i thought what do i have to lose yeah i could yeah. do this maybe help somebody else um, I could not do it and probably not survive very long. So I I took my chances on it. And here I am almost 14 years later. But I would have been willing to go other places. But part of that is because I had great insurance. Mm-hmm. And I, ha- I had uh, my son as an advocate. And, and that really w- was helpful for me.
0: Yeah, And great insurance. I'm glad you said that because that makes a difference. Oh, indeed. Yes. When I was first diagnosed, my husband and I, um, we, were, we weren't married yet. He was my fiance. My insurance wasn't that great. I was an independent contractor. I was paying for my own insurance. And then when we got married, um, he had great insurance, which means I had great insurance. And let me tell you, the conversations changed. Yeah. Who you went to go see, how you, it changed. It shouldn't, but it That's did That's right. And we had no problems. And that's what made me want to be an advocate of my care, but also get involved with the PFAC committee, lay navigation. And that's how we met because you just reminded me that we met at a coffee shop, one of my favorite places to be at (laughs) (laughs) with someone who's starting the program. And I actually kind of worked under you and followed you and you were showing me how you were going into these rooms. You were you were amazing. Come on. You were amazing. I was like, I don't know how you can do this. And yeah, but you know, you were, you were very well known and you were very,
1: um, you were, you were a very well known advocate for breast cancer patients at the time. And so um, I was so excited to get to know you and, oh, you. Uh, you know, and I remember when you, you, you were married and then you had some heart issues or what was yeah. it? Lung, um, had um, and and I was doing my volunteering and I got to come up and visit you. Yeah, you came up. I think my husband, was my husband
0: there too? Yes. Yeah, you were. Yeah, I was so out of it because um, I think that was the time that I actually went into the cardiac ICU because they thought yeah. I a heart attack and it was putting stress on my heart and everything. Like a lot of people don't know like all these side effects from different things or um, the treatment you're going in. You can die for something else, and I was like, "Please don't take me out of here for this, you know, for my heart or you know, blood clots." But yeah, you did come up there. You you were up there for a while. You snuck over and was <laughs> <laughs> to I had my little official blue coat. Yeah, I was <laughs> right
1: through. <laughs> Wait, well, and you know the thing is about, and I I will add this about doing clinical trials because I'm a big advocate for that. Yes. Um, My, you know, when they give you all this paperwork on doing clinical trials and they tell you, and you hear it now on TV, you try these drugs and they list all the stuff that you can go through and all the crap that can happen. And I, I, and this oncologist sat down and hand wrote out the treatment plan for me because, you know, when you're diagnosed, you were like you're overwhelmed with this information. You're you're just like, What? And mm-hmm. and it made it it simplified more me. It didn't make me feel any more comfortable about it, but at mm-hmm. least it gave me kind of, okay, this happens first and this happens and this happens. And and then you when you sign off on those papers for the clinical trial, it's like, well, okay, you know, all these other things could happen. Mm-hmm. But you could also survive. Now, I will say the clinical trial I did globally was not successful. Um, But there are, there's a few select patients that it has been successful for. And um, one of them is my friend in Wilmington. So we're not quite sure why that happened. And they didn't go further with the study. Um, But there was this subgroup that, that, they survived it. So, and I, have, I did run into my original oncologist at an ASCO conference mm-hmm. in Chicago. And he called me like, oh, I was a successful person. <laughs> <laughs> <was so> <laughs> and he still had the beautiful hair, so.
0: <laughs> it was so funny at UNC. I know doctors buy their ties, their socks, their hair. Like, mm-hmm. they're something. And then to be able to volunteer alongside the doctors. That's what I like. I learned so much about like the tumor board. And yes, I really get to see behind the scenes. At first, it was a little awkward because I was seeing my doctor, then I was seeing my oncologist and they were all in there and it was like, hey, how you doing? And then I really started to get involved. Because right. There was an unmet need there. And watching you do because you stayed on, um, because the program was a little chaotic when I first came on, and then you know, life happened and those two little babies kept me um very busy. Of <laughs> but then I ran into Loretta at our appointment, she's like, You had the kids, right? You ready to come back? <laughs> and I was oh. like, Come back in a different capacity if you like. <laughs> we do we really do need more
1: people to do this. It's a very, you know, it it is hard. I mean, if people are working, it's a really hard -hmm. Thing to be doing. Um, And now, you know, I can devote a lot of time to it. And right now, what we're doing is we're calling patients at home Mm -hmm. because we can't go to the hospital. And I kept thinking, oh, that's not going to be that great. It's been pretty amazing. Some of them are just so happy to talk to somebody because they're stuck at home. Mm -hmm. And, you know, nothing worse than having cancer and COVID worries on top of it. So um, that, I'm, but. I really miss having that face to face with my patients and, you know, some of these patients, you know, I've lost patients and it's, it's hard. It's a hard, it's hard thing to do. I don't know how the doctors and nurses do that um, when they lose patients all the time, but um, I also have gained so much through it with friendships Mm -hmm. and, and so um, it's it's a good experience. If anybody has the time to do it, I would encourage you to volunteer um, yes. to do it. I, I don't know if Duke is doing it or not. They might be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know UNC and the person that we have now running the program is through the Patient and Family Resource Center and she's really good. So oh, that's
0: good. Yeah, yeah. Please volunteer your time. Um, I really, you know, I had a chance to... Give you, I believe it was our excellence award from the P. Yes,
1: you did. (laughs) I think I was the one and only.
0: (laughs) We haven't had a meeting since. (laughs) I was like, Yeah, you were. COVID happened. (laughs) Well, your name is now up on a beautiful plaque. All our names are up there, but you really do so much for not just. if community. you look behind me
1: right here, there it I is. I see it. Now, yeah, you know, I've been packing up my house because, you know, I'm. we're having our house recarpeted and it's yeah. very painful and stressful. And this is the last space that's going to be packed up. So oh. there it is. It's right up there on the bookshelf.
0: <laughs> it was my honor. I was like, yeah, I have to do it. And then Thank I went out after that because I had an appointment with the girls. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. But I well, like, You know,
1: it's interesting because these things lead you to getting to do other things. Like mm-hmm. I'm on a couple of national um, boards now involved yeah. with some things. One of them is involved with Dr. Muss from yes. UNC. Um, but it has to do with geriatric patients. Now, I wasn't a geriatric patient when I got diagnosed, but I am now. Uh-huh. And so um, I'm on this national committee, and we just do our meetings online by Zoom or whatever. And it's about encouraging young investigators to include patients over 65 in clinical trials because, like, a lot of times they don't. But, you know, as we know, your true age and your chronological age can be very different. Yes. So, like, I don't feel like I'm my age. I'll say I'm yes. 72. I don't feel like I'm 72. Mm-hmm. I may look like I'm 72. but no, I don't you feel do like not. <laughs> no, you but, do and, and then I applied for another group that I'm going to be involved with, and it's the International Lung Cancer Research Group. Mm-hmm. And of course, there, and I thought, oh, this is great because they have their gatherings or conferences all over the world. Well, of uh-huh. course, you know,
0: we're doing it online. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Now, there's been a couple of times where you have traveled. And yes. Has, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah I, different. I, um, I went with, well, a long
1: time ago, I went with a longevity group, which is a national lung cancer group. Mm -hmm. And then um, that was up in DC. And then I went, I went to another one that was in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And it had to do with it's the um, cancer in- research cancer institutes, and it covered all kinds of different cancers. But they paid my way, and actually, the person who was running it was an oncologist from UNC. So she asked me to go, and I learned a ton about that because about all different cancers. And then I went to um, another lung cancer one in DC, which. Then, you know, we, they do some training and then we actually go and talk to our legislators in D.C., which was eye opening because um, none of them were available to talk to us about cancer funding. <laughs> so we talked to a lot of young assistants um, And then um, I went to – oh, I was asked to go to the American Cancer um, Research Conference, and they they told my story as a survivor. Um, And then we actually – then I went and talked to legislators as well about cancer funding. So it's been eye-opening because um, we have some people who really are willing to – Uh, commit to research money Mm -hmm. and there are others who like say oh we'll pass this on and we never hear from them again so i'll tell you the one person and if you're from north carolina Mm -hmm. is david price david price is very supportive of cancer research so um Mm -hmm. so if you're in if you're in north carolina and you're in his district he's a good person so
0: David price remember that yeah One of the things that I also want to touch on is, you know, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. My mother had lung cancer, but one of the things that I learned very quickly while I was going through radiation, there was a a notebook there that they would have people share their thoughts. And I would always, because you had to do radiation every day, like every day you had to do it Right. During, during, during the holidays as well. I think we only had like Thanksgiving off and then we had to keep going. But um, in that book, um, lung cancer and breast cancer, those two, I seen this one lady who kept writing, you know, breast cancer is not the only cancer. And it happened to be in the month of October. And it's very important that people know that the funding sources for lung cancer versus breast cancer, cervical cancer, how many people are living with lung cancer, how many people are being diagnosed versus. Um, living with um, breast cancer—that's so important. And I, mm-hmm. a pink. I actually don't like the color pink, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I understand the power of pink. So, right—is it with the the funding sources, or how do you ever feel like lung cancer is being overshadowed by breast cancer or other cancers that are out there in the spotlight? Well.
1: I do because you know when I was first diagnosed, I didn't even realize that lung cancer is the number one cancer killer of women. Yes. Now more women get breast cancer, but their survival rate is fabulous. Yeah. Because they've gotten they they and I won't take that away from they've done a fabulous job of getting that research money, mm-hmm. and so um, it's an emotional thing, and I think um, I congratulate them on that but Mm -hmm. it does kind of make us feel bad because lung cancer is the number one cancer killer of women and they're the least funded yeah so if you look at any charts you will see lung cancer and a lot of it has to do because we live with a stigma that they think you have lung cancer because you smoked Mm -hmm. and that is just not the case what in these last 14 years we now have oh there's got to be three or four um, different mutations for mm-hmm. lung cancer, and these are young women who are getting it never smokers now, mm-hmm. about twenty percent of smokers do get lung cancer, so what about those other eighty percent why didn 't they get lung cancer? My grandfather smoked his entire life and he died at ninety one of being ninety one yes. so so yeah there 's a little frustration there I will say I think we're getting a little more um, visibility over time Mm -hmm. but it is and you know I congratulate you know we always say we want to be lung cancer patients want to be where breast cancer patients are with funding and you know my oncologist said I'm turning I think he went to ASCO and he said Oh my gosh! Everybody wants to do lung cancer research now because we're making progress finally. And so yeah. I thought, well, this is great, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. I, but you know, and then you have the drug companies, and people see these ads on TV, and they think, oh, great! I have lung cancer. I can do that drug. Well, a lot of those drugs are mutation specialty, and mm-hmm. they don't realize that, so it won't work for everybody. But um, so. It's a little frustrating, but and the drug that I had, I don't think they're even advertising anymore.
0: So, oh wow, it, and it's it's important that people understand that there is that. I don't know if it's a fight for funding, but it's it's, it's the stigma. We have a friend um, who's young who's never smoked, and I I was at a support group. I went to go support her. On and the first thing that someone said was like, well, you were a smoker. And she yeah. said, it matter? I have That's no- right. That's right. You know, I have cancer like everybody else in here. You know, sure. so I I could see her frustration. And my mom was diagnosed. Everybody kept sending her pink stuff. And she was like, one more person sends me something because no one's asking. Or if they find out, then. You deserve that or something happened, you know, that stigma that's there. And that always bothered me. And the, and the fact that I see that even it, you know, sitting in radiation, reading and seeing that there's no funding, like pink, get, again, the power of pink is very powerful. It is.
1: And some of the things, you know, when you look at, see who's how the marketing is for pink mm-hmm. stuff. I think the one that put me over the edge was the Kentucky fried chicken pink box or something. It was like, what? And so, you know, it, and so we are yeah. sometimes we're oversensitive to that. Mm-hmm. And so, and I, I don't wear much pink either. I think a lot of people associate pink with women's cancer period. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Um, That's okay to do that. But, you know, when I I say to people now, because I'm very brazen, I'll say, what color is associated with lung cancer? And they're like, I don't know. You know, (laughs) it's white. It's It's white. white.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, there was a group, there's, I can't remember the group that came out. I think it was the American Lung Association. And they came out with or maybe it was American cancer, teal. And so they, they picked up teal as a color. And there was some confusion about that. But I I wear my white ribbons. And when I wear them, it's funny because people will say, well, what's that white ribbon for? And I said, for lung cancer. And this person will say, oh, I thought it was pink.
0: I'm yeah. Like, no. <laughs> no, it's white. No. I have a pair. I remember. I actually bought them because of you. Oh. <laughs> I did. I was like, I, I want you. Sure. <laughs> so there, I was gonna wear them tonight, but everything's packed up in this rental home. I get it. I get this it. <laughs> home. I cannot wait to move. <laughs> but, well, and you know it's October now, so
1: it is. We call it Pinktober so yes. a lot of times and then next month november is lung cancer awareness month so you know people can but you know every i mean look at all the people who've died of pancreatic cancer lately yes. um and it's you know it's that's a really bad cancer yes. and um i i think it's so amazing that um justice ginsburg survived as long as she did she oh, yes. had four different cancers so um she's kind of a hero for a lot of us now, yes, just yes. with her
0: stamina. So yes. we yes. should all
1: be so lucky. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, and I'm actually gonna air this in November because I knew that.
1: And oh. I'll
0: make sure I got you in Pinktober because I'm gonna air this in November and hopefully get you on a live as well. Um, okay. Just to talk about um the month of November and making sure that people know and give more information about lung cancer, and lung cancer awareness um, and what we're doing because COVID is still here. So how has COVID affected? uh, I know you talked about now you are now making phone calls versus being in the hospital, but do you know if it's affecting anyone who's in care? Like are you having the phone calls where they're like, I don't want to go because COVID is, you know... You know, I I think over
1: time, the hospital, at least with UNC, that they've done a really good job on helping patients become um, more comfortable. Um, A lot of them are not going to the big hospital, they're going to to Hillsborough because they can get their treatment quicker. Um, I had a, uh, I had a uh, a scan done in June. Mm -hmm. And they actually didn't even take me into the big hospital. They took me over to the ambulatory ambulatory care hospital. Mm -hmm. And I was like, in right and very careful. And they wouldn't let me wear my own mask. I had to wear their mask. Mm -hmm. And I was in and out in 10 minutes. Yeah, And then, of course, then you FaceTime with your doctor. Mm -hmm. And in my case, you know, my scan was fine. And Um, My doctor, we talked about my scan for about 10 minutes, and the rest of the time we talked about wine. (laughs) So so I have a really good relationship with him, obviously, after all these years. But a a lot of the patients, um, it's interesting what the doctor has said, though, because when I talked to him, he said, I really don't like doing these virtual visits because... I need to see my patient physically yeah. because I can see so much about how, um, how they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate it. I mean, he could have talked to me, he knows me so well, and yeah. I would have told him if I was having an issue. Um, but he, he was like, I just don't like this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but some patients do not want to go in and they've just, they have a good system. However, more, more and more patients are going in now. I mean, yeah. a lot of A lot of them are going in for their chemo treatments because they have to. So, but um, I had one patient, for example, and she was going in and she was going in for chemo, but then she was having radiation five days a week and she was coming from the Greenville area. Well, the hotel, I thought this was amazing. The hotel accommodated her so that, and they actually, she wanted to bring her dog. It was kind of a comfort dog for her. So she was staying at this one hotel. They let her have one particular room and she had it for the five days and then she'd go home for the weekend and they would sanitize the whole room and not let anybody else use that room. Really? Yes. And then she would come back. Um, Now, I don't know if UNC paid for all of that, but Mm -hmm. they worked that out for her so that um, she could have that. I, I think it was like five or six weeks and she had that own particular room. Now, you know, to be honest, a lot of those hotels were not making a lot of business. Yeah. So it probably was a win-win for both, but that certainly alleviated her um, comfort level as yeah. far as, you know, knowing that she had a safe place to come back to and somebody else hadn't been in there and she could have her dog, which I yeah. totally appreciate. So. Anxiety yeah.
0: is so real. I just had, um what I consider a scare. And I went to World instead of the main hospital. Um, I I felt a, a lump, a knot. Uh, I could actually see it through my shirt. And oh. yeah, when I was sitting there, I was sitting there, my husband was cook, cooking, and I looked down and I was like, wait a minute. Because I've never, I didn't feel a lump when I was diagnosed, you know? Right. You know, just to be going. So when I did that, I was like, hmm. And I couldn't tell if it was under the implant. It was really weird. And um, so the good thing about working for PFAC or volunteering and being like the face of so many different programs, when I called, they gave me like a two-week window before I could come in. And so finally, I reached out to my nurse navigator, who's no longer working for my current doctor, and um, but she happened to be on call because the nurse navigator was out. And I was, uh, look, this is scary. I don't want to bump anyone around, but I know there's space in there somewhere. And I end up going in the next day and um, had to have a biopsy. Um, Hillsboro, I was in and out. The doctor was great. Um, and then I had to come back to Hillsboro to get my results. And I was able to see my same doctors there in a smaller setting. And even with, um, I have to go and get some more scans done. But they're like, we're not sending you to the main hospital. We're going to send you to the clinic get, to get it done because we don't want you to be at the main hospital. But right. I, therefore, um, the biopsy. But the way it's set up, you know, everyone's helping you to get through without touching anything. Right. Which is great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well,
1: I hope I hope your results are going to be okay. Yes.
0: Everything Everything came out well. Good. Um, okay that everything came out. Well, and it just brought me back to that place. I'm like, I'm nine years out. And, um, it was scary because the doctor was like, well, you know, it's a new finding. Yeah. What happens with new findings. And I actually, and my husband couldn't be there, which was so scary because he was always there, but because of COVID he couldn't be there. I actually got in the car and forgot to turn it on sweating bullets (laughs) <laughs> because I'm up here calling um, to make my next appointment, get in. And they were like, you know, it'll be another week or whatever. And I, I, I left there. I went to talk to a friend who's never in town. And we sat for like two hours, chatted while she was getting her car fixed six, six feet away from each other. And then I went and I went to my new house and just walked the, Walked, walked in the woods, walked around all by myself and came home and looked at my girls and I was like, I, I know that this is not it for me. So yeah. it, it's scary every time you go get those scans or you find something and then you, you hear them say, oh, it has to go to the tumor board and all. it's so scary. And oh, sure. Absolutely. Sometimes absolutely. Like it's never ending when I have that break from not getting scans or I have six months or a year. But it's so important that you advocate for your care. Don't be scared not to go you know absolutely yeah and you know my on my last scan I had
1: said to my doctor I said okay I think this is going to be the last one I'm mm-hmm. doing okay you know it's 14 years and yeah, yeah I I've, I've had some bumps along the way and he said no I changed my mind and of course and I went well why why <laughs> <laughs> and he said well, he said, well, essentially there was there's a there's been a spot on my left lung that has been there for 6 years. Yeah. And he said it's never changed. But he said as long as your insurance will still pay for a scan every year, Why let's not? keep doing that. None but okay, fine, yeah. that's fine. And I was I was I thought I had made it we had made this decision earlier. And now he's like, mm, you know, and maybe he just like seen
0: me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I was like, I was like, I'm about to hit my 10 year. And then she's yeah. like, I'm going to keep you for another five. That's, you know what? It,
1: when you do a clinical trial or anything like that, and you finish yeah. treatment and you're like, who's going to be watching over me now? Yeah. You know, I want somebody watching over me. So. <laughs> It's
0: okay. Yeah. 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 My doctor said if you don't have to see me, you're good. Exactly. I when I started seeing my um practitioner and I was like, Right, my doctor, where's Dr. Carrie at? And finally, the scheduler was like, Look, Regina. Like she really had to say, Look, Regina, you don't have to see her anymore. I was like, But I want to I know, I know. But every and, time you know, she would come in my room. You probably do though. You probably do see her, you know. I do. Just- she, she still comes in. She's like, you're on the schedule. And the last time that, right before COVID, um, my whole team from the beginning, when I was first diagnosed, all came into my room because they hadn't seen me since the girls and all this stuff. And they all came in my room. And I was so overwhelmed by the time I got in my car. I did a little video and I was like, my whole team was there. Everybody from the first person who touched me to the last yeah. We're all there, and it's, it's you. They feel like family sometimes. You're like, and you, yeah,
1: you know, and that's what I loved about UNC, and that's probably mm-hmm. one of the other reasons that I picked. And this was 14 years ago. Mm-hmm. That team came in all together to see me, and that was in the old hospital. That was before even the new hospital was oh, built, wow. and they all crowded in these little crappy <laughs> small <laughs> rooms.
0: I've seen those. Um,
1: rooms. The oncologist was there. The radiation oncologist was there. A med school student was there. um, The nurse navigator was there. Because at one of the other hospitals, which I won't mention, I was going boom from every, every, and it was... When you're diagnosed, you know that it's like overwhelming. It's yes. just overwhelming. And I so appreciated having that team right there for me. And now it's it, it, that's very functional. I yeah. think a lot of hospitals, it's
0: functional that they do that total team approach, which is great. It, it is wonderful because I was diagnosed first in Charlotte and this place, this place, this place. Then they, they make you go out through the back door of this place when they give you bad news. No one's Oh yeah. When I was diagnosed, we went through the back door that led to the parking debt, not even the parking debt we parked in, but oh. like, what in the world? I know. We shopped around. When I say we shopped around, we really looked at Duke and UNC. And um, it was actually my nurse navigated that said, Hey, you might want to get another opinion. And she gave me the doctors I should look at because- yeah. My cancer was invasive, but they were like, no, we're just going to give you a new set of tatas." No. <laughs> well, invasive.
1: and I do think, I think that's really important for anybody who's, who gets diagnosed. If you're in the triangle area, um, yes. get a second opinion or a <laughs> third opinion even. I, um, and I don't regret that at all. Of course, again, that comes up to the whole insurance issue. Um, <laughs> will that be allowed? But I think, again, you're right, we have to be our own advocates. And Mm -hmm. I told my primary care doctor was the one who actually found all of this. And he said, and he actually lined up all my appointments for me. So I went boom, from one to the next to the next. And I so appreciated that. So that was my other advocate, my primary care doctor, who I've had for 24 years. And so we're like, I mean, I have his private text number now. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, you know, you know he was. I he was mentioned in a, a couple of things that I have done, you know, publicly for people. So yeah. he knows I'm grateful to him too. And, and it was great because, you know, a lot of the doctors will just say, "Oh, I don't think it's anything. Come back in six months." Well, I yeah. probably could have been could have been dead by then. So I was no way. lucky. Yeah. yeah.
0: So before we go here, because we've been on for about 45 minutes okay where um how your journey has led you led you to be an advocate to volunteer like why is that so important or why is this so important to you that you you have this give back because your spirit is amazing well um i i don't i don't you know my mom
1: my mom had lupus and mm-hmm. so um she was ill for almost I think from the time I was five years old and she died when she was 62. and um, and But she was always willing to be a guinea pig for mm-hmm. treatments and things like that. And so I don't know. I mean, I, you know, when you get... Well, I think quite honestly, I was so mad I got diagnosed with something because I thought I was leading yeah. the clean life, you know? <laughs> and um, so when I actually... Like nine months later, after I actually got through all that treatment, I thought, well, we need—I need to give back and let people know that people can survive this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a great percentage right now, but um, when I was given the opportunity to do it, um, and it's close by, yeah, I just thought, why not? It's—it's—and uh, I—I love the people that I meet through Mm -hmm. this and the patients and um it's interesting to see how everybody handles their cancer Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it's it it's something and i'm not going to say i I will say this Mm -hmm. i carry some survivor guilt because i meet all these wonderful people who have the same exact cancer i had or something even milder and they don't survive it Mm -hmm. and i'm like well uh, and I do go, well, why did I survive this? Mm-hmm. And these wonderful people did not. And the only explanation I've ever heard that made sense was from my hairdresser who mm-hmm. said it wasn't your time.
0: Wasn't and your so
1: time. I thought, okay, well, if it's not my time, then I better do something with this. So um, I I just want to be able to give people hope and mm-hmm. um and I have the time to do it now. So exactly. um, And, and it, what is nice, too, is that people get in touch with me now. Anybody who gets a diagnosed with any kind of cancer, they'll get in touch with me and ask for advice. And that, that makes me feel good that they feel like... I've had, I had some friends over the other night, and they said, well, if we get cancer, we're calling you. <laughs> <laughs> I did. You're
0: the go-to person.
1: I guess. And I'm not an expert on any cancer, except... Yeah. Probably lung cancer. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. But I can give them the direction
0: to go too. And I think that's a wonderful thing. That's why you're such a great navigator because you can give them the directions to to look here. Here's the path. Here you go. And you are like, okay. I'm not gonna tear up, and I'm not gonna. <laughs> Don't do it. But I, I wish my mom had. Um, a person in her corner like you. Because when we found out that she was diagnosed, she was actually having surgery. And again, they thought it was bronchitis and she had all this stuff coming in, um, going on. And the doctor came in, um, you know, during her surgery, came back and said, hey, you know, it's lung cancer. And we were like, what? We have to do a trach. And we're like, what? And we were so left in the dark. And they were like, you have to do this treatment, that treatment. But she's gonna die, you know. And it was like how they said it. I I I knew then that I was gonna advocate for my care no matter what, whether I was sick, whether I was just for my primary care physician, knowing which one to pick. Um, So it was very important, and the way the doctors actually um, you know talked to us it, it just made no sense for a family hearing the you know hearing those words. And right. I already lost my father, not even, you know, six months before then. And then we lost my well, it was about a year. And then we lost my brother. So we had been dealing with death and dying. And I just wanted to change it. And when I was diagnosed, I know my family was like, Oh my goodness, here we go. Mm-hmm. I was very private, um, even with my family, because I wanted to do it a little bit different. I wanted to make right. I advocated for my care that my my husband was a great cheerleader for me and you have to make sure that you have all those components and if you don't like what you hear get a second opinion exactly second opinion. exactly that's what I did I got a second opinion and I was able to meet great people and I love the work that you're doing I've seen you going in the rooms I've seen you out in the the lobby I've seen you advocate for a coffee cart or something <laughs> the patients because we've been there we've sat on the other side where we're sitting for I don't know how long your your chemo treatments were but sometimes my weight was longer than my treatment oh yeah oh I agree yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. the thing that you've done with the PFAC co- committee has really shortened the time of those weights and they've made the patients very comfortable and they know you yeah, their their whole system at the big
1: hospital has really changed because a lot of times now, you know, you go in and you go you go in and you have your lab work and you see your doctor and then you have a scan and then you have to have chemo too. Yeah, you're you're there from eight in the morning until five or six at night. Yeah. Now they let you have your scan a day or two earlier and all of that, and that has really, I mean, because really it it is you know, you have the anxiety on yep. top of it mm-hmm. and then sitting and waiting to have your chemo treatment. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I, I totally get that. So the hospital is really working hard on mm-hmm. that. And I love seeing that. And, yes. if, and if a patient will come in and they'll check in for chemo and they'll, they'll say, well, you probably won't be able to get in your chair for an hour. So they take their cell phone number and say, go get lunch or go do this or go do that which is fine instead of sitting in there in that room going, when am I going to call my
0: name? So,
1: <laughs> so no, yeah, there's a lot of difference. good things happening. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, you've been a part of those good things happening.
1: Well, I'm happy them- to be there. I'm happy, to, I'm happy <laughs> to be able to give, give back a little bit. And it's a great hospital and a great group of people there. So yeah. Um, We're very blessed to have that so close to home. And I can't
0: wait for you to get in your new home. (laughs) I know. I'm going to be doing more podcasting, more lives. I was hoping that I would be in my new home when we set this up, I think, early September. Yeah. (laughs) Not.
1: (laughs) Now you got to go pick a new carpet color. I know. (laughs) If you only knew. <laughs> oh, well, you know, we just were uh-huh. changing it out in the house here. And it took me forever to find the color that I wanted because so hard. it just, oh my gosh, the samples and all of that. And you just, <laughs> it's like, and so I think I got what I like, but it's really interesting. It's almost two-tone because sometimes it looks gray and sometimes it looks a little more brownish. You so,
0: same thing. Yeah, but it looks a little brown and finally, I told my husband, I don't, I don't care. At some point you're like, I'm done. I'm done by this time. I'm done. Just put it in. (laughs) Well, but I am so happy to have you on my podcast. I'm going to actually air this in November because I wanted to make sure that we, we, designate that month not just that month but i want to kick november off with a bang and i hope to have you on my live podcast that'd be great but then my my my
1: carpet will be in
0: (laughs) hopefully i will be in my home in my little pod i actually have a yeah yeah podcasting closet that i call the pod so i'm looking that'll be great all right But, but you um you stay on there Thank you so much. Remember that the glow doesn't define me. I define the glow. Sound editing is provided by Josh Masters. If you like what you hear, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Connect with Chemo Glow on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can also find more content at chemoglow.com.